Excellent job, choir. Thank you, Faith. And thank you, Paul. I have a great announcement for you this morning, in case you're not aware, but this past Sunday night, the church at Haven Baptist voted uh, with all in favor to call Paul Henley as our worship music leader, so that we, we rejoice and thank God for. Thank you, Paul. As many of you know, we've been waiting and praying for a music leader for some time, so Paul is an answer to prayer. Well, how are you doing this morning? Good? You awake? I'll take that as a yes. All right. Well, as Charlie said earlier, the the movie or the uh, video had reminded me of uh, different things as well. It reminded me again of God's faithfulness. The uh, video talked about how we as Christians have hope, and God's faithfulness gives us hope for the future, which is true. But sometimes we forget about how God's faithfulness in the past gives us hope for the present as well, not only for the future but for the present today too. So we see that. Here in our chapter today, in Exodus chapter 17, we're going to continue to look at what God is doing amongst His people, and as you all are aware of, because you woke up this morning, that God is very patient. He is patient to us. He was patient with His people back then. He will be patient with His people forever. And as we have talked about throughout the book of Exodus, God is present with His people, He's not distant, he's not far away, he is near. He is with his people, and not only is he with them, but he is providing for them. Again, we, as his people, we are not orphans, but we are with our Heavenly Father, and he provides for his people. And last week, if you remember, and if you do, great job. If you don't, here's a good reminder, that we are not to grumble. We're not to be a grumbling, complaining people. Instead of grumbling, we are to be humble, and we are to seek the Lord together knowing that God is dependable and God is able to meet all of our needs. That is good news. He's able to meet all of our needs. And we as Christians know that our needs are met specifically through the glorious riches that are found in who? Jesus Christ. So we have good news to hear this morning, good news to rejoice in. Let us stand together as we read and honor God's Word together. Exodus chapter 17. This is a shorter chapter in comparison to the ones in the past, but we're going to go through it quickly. Exodus chapter 17. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, 
Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Oreb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come up out of it, and the people will drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it, and while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and on the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let us pray. You may be seated. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that we will come before your word humbly, recognizing that we are coming before you. Father, we come before you as a sinful people. But Father, we come before you through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. So we are forgiven. So Father, it is on that basis that we come before your throne of grace. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are and what you have revealed. And Lord, you have revealed your character to us. You have revealed your very name to us. You have revealed your glory to us. And so Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can see and we can savor who you are. Lord, I pray that we will learn from Israel's past Father, I pray that we will learn from our past. Lord, not just learn knowledge, but learn to walk in your ways. Father, we seek to be obedient to you. So Lord, your word says that you have called out a people out of darkness into light to be a holy people. So Lord, if we are called to be holy, Lord, help us to seek you and you alone. Lord, we want to worship you this morning. So, Father, help us not to test you, not to question you, not to doubt you. And, Father, where we do, where we fall short, Lord, I pray that we will be quick to confess our sins and repent. And, Lord, I pray that we will know that you are a good God that forgives our sins. And, Lord, that you call us to come unto you. Lord, I thank you and praise you for this day. And, Lord, I pray that you will remind us of your faithfulness in the past to give us hope for the present. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to look at God's Word. Whenever we see God's Word and we read God's Word, we must remember, as I've said many times before, it's not just words of the past. They are words of the past. They are, it is history. It is true. But it is applicable for us today. And we see that through this passage through the verse, again, I've mentioned that it's a short chapter. We're going to look at the two different sections, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 8 through 16. And the chapter flows quickly as we see two different occasions, two different instances. And in the first instance, verses 1 through 7, we see the people of Israel do what they do best. They doubt God. Maybe I shouldn't give them such a hard time, but we do this as well. They doubt God. They question God. They, we see the same word we saw last week. They grumble. They grumble. Again, they're not humbly seeking the Lord. They're grumbling, questioning the Lord. And in the first seven verses, we see a key question. We're going to look at three questions this morning. The first question is, why do you test the Lord? This is a question for us to think about as well. Moses asked the people of Israel, why are you testing the Lord? It is the Lord, after all, that you are testing. So this is the question we'll look at in the first seven verses. The people of Israel, they're on the move. Again, they're not to stay where they were. They're on the move, and they come to this place called Rephidim. They're moving on, following God's commands, and as they get there, there's no water to drink. Well, you know how important water is. In fact, this past week, I've been doing this uh, exercise class, and, and a guy uh, in our group online said our bodies are composed of 60% of water. I think that's right anyway. That's a lot of water. And said you're supposed to drink 64 ounces of water a day. I probably drink about four ounces a day. And so water is important. And the people come, and they are upset because there's no water to drink. They're saying, what is with this place? There's no water here. They're upset, and just like unhappy union employees, they know where to go when things aren't to their liking. They go to the leader. They go to the one who's in charge. So they go to Moses, and and they demand that he quench their desires. You know, you've placed us here. You've brought us here. Now fix it. So that's what they do. They collectively say, give us water to drink. What do they sound like? They, the, the followers, uh, the, the people of Israel, they sound more like toddlers than followers of God. We want water. Give us water. What does Moses say? He responds to them, why do you quarrel with me? As we saw last week, again, when we grumble, we're not just grumbling against one another, against our spouses, against our neighbors or coworkers. When we're grumbling and complaining, ultimately, who's it against? God. We're grumbling against God. We're basically saying, why have you put me here? Why have you called me to go through this? And so this is what Moses says. He says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? So Moses takes himself out of the equation. He says, I know that I've been brought here, but this isn't about you and me. This is about you versus the Lord. So Moses Uh, again, is angered with their complaints, just like last week. He knows, you know, that God, the Lord God, had brought them out of captivity. He had brought them out of slavery. He had brought them, had rescued them miraculously. Yet, they questioned God, saying, where are you? We have this desire. We we thirst. Where are you? So Moses, Moses questions the people about their quarreling, yet the questions 
do not deter the people. They continue to grumble, continue to complain. We too are just like the people though. We often test the Lord. How do we test the Lord? This might not be applicable, but one key way is through gambling. Gambling, I was looking doing some research last night, is a multi, multi-billion dollar business, big business. Billions of dollars are spent each year on, on gambling. Just ask Las Vegas, but not Vegas alone. Every state is affected by gambling. There's many different ways that we test the Lord. When we gamble, we're saying, Lord, will you provide? We're testing whether or not the Lord will provide. But for believers in Christ, what do we know? We know that God does provide. Has He provided in the past? Yes. He will provide in the present. I love Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And last week we looked at Philippians where Paul says, My God will supply all of your needs. So God says, I will provide for you. There's many ways that we test the Lord. We test the Lord when we ignore God's word, when we seek counsel from others instead of a secular um, uh, people in places, instead of seeking God's plan. We must follow the grand designer. This is what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. Remember when he was tested in the wilderness, or tempted in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, remember the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus knew who was in charge. We as believers in Christ should know who is in charge and who is in control. So we must not test the Lord. But the people here, they are driven. They're not driven to obey God or to follow God. They're driven by their thirst. They could be good representatives for Sprite. Obey your thirst. No, that's not what we are to do. The people did not long to obey Moses or God. They want something to drink and they want it now. They continue their grumbling and complaining. And what do they say? They say to Moses, why would you bring us up out of Egypt? They were pretty happy whenever they were rescued. But now it's like, why? Why are we here? What, what did you do this for? And they say, you brought us here to kill our children, to kill our livestock with thirst. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like last week. Just sounds like last week in chapter 16. Flip back with me one chapter. Chapter 16, verse 3. Almost the same thing. They questioned Moses and said, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots? The good old days when we had bonfires and meat and bread? That's what they're saying. But now you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Last week it was hunger. This week it's thirst. Moses is the one who is uh, getting all the blame. But if you are like me, I'm sure that you hear various complaints throughout the days, throughout the weeks, maybe from a co-worker, maybe from a family member. Don't point to those around you, please. 
<laughs> but as you hear different complaints, we have an opportunity to listen. You may be tempted to hang up a sign like this to avoid uh, complaints. There's a slide there. I, I encourage you not to hang up a slide like this. Don't, don't hang up a sign like That's not what we should do. But when we receive complaints, and when we ourselves complain, we have an opportunity to cast our cares upon the Lord. We have an opportunity to seek the Lord. And as we said last week, we need to be honest in our prayers. We need to call upon the Lord. This is what Moses does. He's not, he's not pretending of what is going on is fake. He calls upon the Lord. Look with me in verse 4. Verse 4, Moses cries out to the Lord. He, he's not trying to figure this out on his, his own. He says, what shall I do with this people? He could have just said, what shall I do with your people? You know, I don't, I don't want them anymore. He says, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Thankfully, he was able to put that word almost in there. You know, they don't have rocks in their hands quite yet, but he's honest with the Lord. We must be honest with the Lord when we are in despair, when we are overwhelmed, when we are at a point when we're just in a corner and we don't know where to go, we don't know left, right, we don't know if the Lord's going to provide for this bill or if the Lord's going to open up a job or if the Lord's going to do this. We need to be honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, show me your presence. Lord, remind me of your word. I encourage you to pray to the Lord and be honest to the Lord. Pray the Psalms to the Lord. This is what Moses does. He calls out to the Lord. Then the Lord answers Moses. He gives instruction and direction. He tells Moses to pass before the people. I don't know about you, but if I was Moses, I would have been like, well, can you give me, can you give me something else to do? I mean, I've got to go before the people who are about to stone me. If I'd have been Moses, I would have probably walked with, you know, looking at their hands as I'm going by to make sure there's no stones in their hands. But he's called to go before the people. Why? Because God is with him. He's going to direct them, direct him. Moses doesn't go alone, though. He takes some of the elders with him. We're going to see the importance of elders in Moses' life in the next couple of chapters. Moses goes with the elders, but he also goes with the staff that he used before as he obeyed the Lord. The staff is a good reminder, again, this is what God had done in the past. The staff wasn't a special magic stick, but it was a good reminder of what God had done in the past. So Moses goes forward knowing that God is going to lead him. What does he tell Moses? Look at the text. He tells Moses to strike the rock, water will flow out of it, and people will begin to drink it. Again, if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, okay, I'll do what you say. But uh, this is quite a supernatural sign. God does this sign through His servant Moses. Moses follows God's command this time, as I was reading this, I was thinking about another oper- another time that's very similar to this story. Maybe you're thinking about it as well. When Moses doesn't obey the Lord and he tests the Lord and he strikes the rock twice. And so here Moses is the man of faith, but Moses again, like us, does test the Lord. 
So here, Moses challenges the people by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is a question we will return to. Quickly, let's look to the second section, verses 8 through 16. The second question I want us to ask is, where do you turn to in the battle? Where do you turn to in the battle, in the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of all that's raging inside your heart and around you, where are you going to turn? The Israelites, I'll recap this quickly for us, they're fighting the people from Amalek, the the Amalekites. Seems like the people of Israel are always fighting someone. Someone's always out to get them. Someone's always out to destroy them. This is uh, applicable even for today as well. Moses speaks to Joshua. He tells Joshua to prepare people and to get ready for battle. Then he tells Moses, I'm going to go up to the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. I don't know if that was very encouraging to Joshua, but that's what he tells him. He says, I'm going up there. I'm going to obey God's commands. And then uh, Joshua and his men fight the, the people of Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur do just as I said. They go to the top of the hill as Moses said he would, would. But as they're up at the top of the hill, they're not uh, playing king of the hill up there. That's not what they're doing up there. What are they doing? They're obeying God. They're showing everyone that this is who God is, that he will carry out his word. So Moses is up there, and we see, again, a quick summary of this section in verse 11. Look with me in verse 11. Here's the summary verse. Whenever Moses held up his hand, or hands, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. So here we get a summary of what took place when Moses is holding up his hands, Israel has the advantage. They are going forward. They are proceeding. They are fighting and winning. But when his hands fall down, the opposite takes place. The the Malachites cast aside the people of Israel. This battle uh, seesawed back and forth. Moses is growing tired. His hands are weary and heavy. I thought about, you know, whenever maybe I'm laying on my bed with a book above my head and the book gets heavy or thought about Jared and his puppet ministry up in Montana holding those puppets up there or uh, maybe Jack working on a car, you know, trying to hold a piece up there. Your hands get weary and tired. Well, Moses is doing more than reading here. He is leading the people of God in battle and his hands are growing weary. He's tired. He is... uh, um doing what God has called him to do, but he is weary. I think about how God is strengthening his servant and upholding his servant, um, particularly in Isaiah chapter 40. Look with me there, Isaiah 40. We remember, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall, whoops, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I know that that is a uh, popular passage, maybe one of your favorite passages. Chris Collier loves that passage. She's been encouraging me here lately. She's listening even in Colorado, the sermons. And so, uh, Chris, if you're listening, that passage was for you. And so we are reminded that God is the everlasting God. 
he strengthens his people. And he is strengthening Moses here through his servants. He sends Aaron and Hur to come to put this stone underneath him. Maybe kind of think of a a three-legged stool here uh, uh, for Moses to sit on. And Aaron and Hur are holding up his hands. Holding up his hands even until the sun goes down. What's interesting about this passage, Dwayne Garrett points this out, this passage is fascinating, is what we know about the battle, or what little we know about the battle. The text is not interested in conveying information, conveying information about the size of the army, the tactics they use, their armaments, and whether each side was mounted. It is the impact of Moses' raising or lowering of his hands that determined the outcome. This is interesting when we think about all that we know or what we don't know, that Moses wants us to see God is the one who's fighting for Israel. The Lord fought for his people, just like we saw in Exodus 14. We must remember who brings the victory. Throughout this section, we see that God is the one who brings the victory. And God tells Moses to write down, in this chapter, in verse verse 14, write down what took place in a book. It's to be a memorial of God's victory over Amalek. And what is recorded is also to be recited into the ears of Joshua. Why? So that he might know God was faithful in the past so that he might teach the people of Israel of God's faithfulness. As a leader of God's people, he must not forget who's in control. Who is the chief commander of our lives? God. You must not forget who is in control of every battle. So my question for you this morning is, who do you turn to in the midst of the battle? I know I use this passage a lot, but it's so good. Ephesians 6 reminds us that there is a battle going on every day. Ephesians 6 says to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. We are called to stand firm in God, to remember the gospel, to remember what this battle is about. There's a battle that's going on in our hearts. There's a battle that's going on for souls. There's a battle even with the words that we use. I've been reading a book this past week uh, by Paul David Tripp. It's a powerful book. I encourage you to, to check it out. It's called War of Words. Our words matter. The words that we speak to one another. Our words, James calls them words of life. So are we going to use our words to honor the Lord? Or do we use our words to cut others down, to doubt God's plan, to doubt His promises? So there is a battle that is going on in our hearts There is a battle that we must turn to the Lord in each and every situation. So here in this chapter, Moses tells the people, shows the people who is going before them, who is the one who secures the victory. And in verse 15, Moses builds an altar and he calls it, what does he call it? What does he call it there in verse 15? 
The Lord is my banner. I told Paul in faith, I said, we, we need to get a banner in here this morning. It's just appropriate. So at least we have this banner. A good reminder that God is with us. That God goes before us. So here we see that Moses builds this altar. Yes, guys like to build stuff, but this isn't just a Saturday afternoon project. As he builds this altar, it reveals God's ability to protect his people. But also, this is an opportunity for worship. This is an opportunity for the people of God to come together and say, yes, our God, the Lord is my banner, has protected us. He has led us. He has guided us. He watches over us. So here in the Hebrew, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. He is your defender. A banner, Ken Hemphill says, a banner is something that identifies and unifies a particular group of people. In the military, a flag or a standard is sometimes called a banner. The Israelites are saying, the Lord is my banner, was a way of identifying themselves as the unified followers of the Lord God. A banner also functions as a rallying point for troops in a battle. The altar Moses built marked the place where God intervened on behalf of his people and promised to utterly defeat his enemies. So as the banner is seen through the altar, we see that God is saying, I fulfilled my word. My promises are true. All of the things that God promises that will take place, they come. They take place. So here, we, we have an opportunity, as I said, with the people of Israel, with Moses, there was an opportunity to worship. We, too, have an opportunity to worship. This is what Psalm 20 says. Psalm 20, verse 5, it says, May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, if you are a believer united to Christ this morning, you have reason to rejoice. Amen. If you have been saved, if you know what salvation means, you have reason to rejoice. So we have an opportunity to shout for joy because of what God has done. He has secured our victory. He has brought the victory. And so because of that, we trust in Him. We rejoice in Him. And we say with the people of Israel, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. God has completed what He said will come to pass. So we stand in awe of what God has done, that He has accomplished the victory through this uh, amazing battle here in chapter 17. And we must understand it is a great honor for us as the people of God to serve under God's banner, that we get to serve as soldiers as servants under God's banner. We are ambassadors for God. As I have said before as an illustration, when somebody is an ambassador for the United States, if they go over to Europe for a meeting, that is a great responsibility. They have a name, they have a spot there, a seat, um, that they are a representative, that they are an ambassador of the United States. That's not to be taken lightly. Well, many, 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 many times more as ambassadors of God, it's an even greater responsibility that we, as the people of God, speak, act, live as God's servants. 
And we see that as the people of God, we know God's plan because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come. He has brought salvation. Again, another way we see God's banner of protection for his people. And so because we know Jesus Christ and because of his authority, we can say to others, be reconciled to God. What a message. That we can speak that, that we can tell others. What makes you think that you can say, God, God God is the one who's given me authority. To tell you, be reconciled to God. You can be reconciled to God. Draw near to God. This is a great responsibility. So we see here who God is. He's revealed His name as Jehovah Nisi. There's many different other ways we can see God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Siddiq, Siddiq, I can't even say it. The Lord our righteousness, that's what it means. All of these names for God shows us that God provides. He heals, He cares, He redeems, and He leads His people. So I've asked two questions so far this morning. Why do you test the Lord? Where do you turn in battle? The third question I touched on briefly, but I must remind us of this question as I close. Is the Lord among us or not? I don't think Moses meant that as a uh, rhetorical question. Is the Lord among us or not? Oh, Justin's already ahead of me. That's okay. Uh, let me count the ways. Here's just, I saw everybody's eyes on the screen. I was like, what's up there? Uh, here's just seven ways that the Lord is among us. First, Nancy. It was such a beautiful uh, Sunday, this past Sunday. She came forward saying, I want to be a member of this church. I want to follow Christ in obedience and baptism. Everybody was rejoicing. Um, Nancy was probably overwhelmed with all the people who uh, smothered her up at the front. But it was a great picture of God's uh, people uh, saying well, we're ready to follow him. Number two, Michael. Michael Ottman had uh, shared with me this past week. He said, I, I'm, I'm thinking back of what you've been preaching in Exodus. I don't know if it was 15 or one of the chapters which says, the Lord is our healer. He says, I've experienced that or our family has experienced that this past week with uh, Christy and, and a medical situation where uh, they, she went to the doctor thinking one thing, but at the end of the time, um, she saw that the Lord had healed her. Wonderful opportunity to testify of God's grace. Number three, I'm still in awe of this and amazed and thankful for your generosity. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our goal was 4000 and I think, uh, if Ellen can correct me, I think we raised about 6700 So again, far surpassed our goal, saying we want to give so that our missionaries can do what they need to do and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Some of us will never go to Southeast Asia and witness to uh, Muslims and unreached people groups. But we have missionaries who are on the front lines doing that very thing. Number four, Paul. So thankful for Paul. I'm so thankful for Paul. Faith is so thankful for Paul. Faith and I were talking about how he's been encouraging us with Scripture throughout the week uh, through text and reminding us of God's uh, provision through song. And so Paul is an answer to prayer. We've been praying for a music leader. Uh, Mike McCammon can testify to this probably close to two years. 
So, so thankful that God has brought Paul here. And Paul wants to, uh, I'll let the cat out of the bag, Paul wants to join us, not just as a leader, but as a church member. He wants to link arms with us. Number five, home discipleship groups began with a bang. Um, it, we started this past Wednesday, and man, we started, I think we had more people in home discipleship groups this past week than ever before. We had about uh, 10 in one group, 15 in another group, uh, about 12 in another group, and then about 45, is that right? What's that? 49 in the fourth group. So add up those numbers, and uh, that's probably about as many people we have here this morning. And so you still have an opportunity to join home discipleship groups. Somebody was asking me this morning about where those groups meet and where are they studying and who is leading them. So please ask me or Justin. We'll plug you in. I'll probably uh, veer you away from the group that has 49, but into one of the other groups. But uh, a great... And what, what that shows me is that there is a desire for discipleship. There is a desire to be with God's people as a great testimony of God's presence. Number six, I tried to limit this uh, to seven, uh, but there's many more things. Uh, the Montana mission team. We have nine people going to Montana in March. Amen. I remember uh, Cindy and I last year were praying for four people. You know, we had two or three and, you know, praying for more people, and the Lord has brought nine people to go, which is good because they're having about 75 kids uh on Wednesdays uh, there in Montana, so we'll need all nine. Number seven, uh, and I can go on and on about number seven, this should not be overlooked, but I've seen, I don't want to call out individual people, but I've seen amongst God's people, people who have testified that they see sin in their life. They're confessing it, they're repenting of it, and they're seeking the Lord. We're all sinners but we're forgiven sinners. So we must seek the Lord. People who have said, I've seen anger, wrath in my heart. I've seen a lack of self-control in this area. I've seen this particular sin, and I want to turn from it. When I look at this list, I just think about these three words at the bottom there, that Jesus is Lord. This is what we see when God's presence is among His people. So when I ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? We all resound with the word, Amen. He is. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for what you're doing amongst us. Father, we are a small church, but Lord, I pray that we will seek to be obedient to what you have called us to do. Lord, you have called us to follow you. So Lord, I pray that we will do that very thing. I pray that you will lead us wherever we're at to repent of sin, to confess sin to our spouse or to our family member. Lord, I pray that we will follow you in obedience to join a home discipleship group, to lead, to teach, to use our spiritual gifts, to walk forward and to become a church member to call upon the Lord for the first time to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, to walk in obedience to Christ's commands to be baptized. Lord, I pray that you will lead us, because, Lord, we see through your word that you lead your people, you care for your people. So, Lord, you are the God who provides. You are the God who is near. 
And Lord, you are the God who protects your people. So Lord, I pray that we might remember even now that you are a refuge and you are our hope and you are our strength. Lord, I pray that you will lead us not to look upon ourselves and to see who we are or what we have done, but so that we might look together to you. And we might say, not to us, O Lord, but to your name, O Lord, be the glory. So, Father, we will glorify you in all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name I pray.